everyone. Uh, hope everyone is doing well today. It is Sunday, January 28th, 2024. And uh, my guest today is Daniel Vinson. He is uh, a person that has quite an interesting story to tell. And his story is, is something I, I think uh, a lot of people could relate to if they suffer uh, and have had epileptic uh, seizures. I hope I'm saying that properly, but or deal with epilepsy. So, um, hi Dan, how are you today? Doing very well, thanks, Joanne. Good. I'm so glad that you're my guest today, um, because I, like many other people, we don't know a lot about epilepsy, and and that's not just who you are. You're a wonderful person, kind. A great neighbor, by the way, <laughs> and uh, uh, father of four kids, adult children, and so on. So let's start at the beginning. That's how I usually like to to do my my episodes. If that's so, okay with you, okay, the so, very beginning. All right. So from the beginning. <laughs> and don't get too smart with me, Dan, because okay. I'll <laughs> I'll take you down. <laughs> Okay. So let's start when uh, with your family. Let's talk about your parents. Yeah. I've met both your parents and your yeah. siblings, some of the, your siblings. So let's talk about your parents. Who right. are they, first of all? Okay. There are, there are two very kind uh, folks I've, who raised me from, like, I bless them both Yeah. because of who they are and how they... They dealt with me from the get-go. And loving parents. Yeah. Your mom. She's a caretaker to your father. She is at the moment. Yes, at the moment. But what was what was her life like before that? Before she even married? Where where did she, what was what's her name anyway? Oh, her first name. Sorry. Her name is uh, Jean. Jean. And so did she work before she met and married your father? Uh she did yeah, before she, let's see, let me think here. Yeah, she did. What did she do? She worked in the hospital. Oh my goodness! Yeah. What did she do there? Yeah, I'm not so sure. That could have been in the kitchen. Could have been cleaning. Yeah. But, yeah. What did she grow up in this area in the no, Greater that, Sudbury area? No, she grew up in Timmins. Oh, in Timmins, yeah. a Northern right. Ontario gal. Correct. Okay, and then. Uh, she met and married your father, and what's your father's first name? Uh, Leonard. Leonard. Well, they call him Len. Len. Sure. Wonderful people. I've mm. met them on on several occasions. And so, what did your where's your dad from originally? He's also from Timmins. Oh, okay. So, so both parents are from Timmins, and dad was a, a hardcore miner. Oh, was he? Yeah. So, I'm, what does that mean, hardcore miner? That was my question a long time ago. That's all I found. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What does that mean, like hardcore so, miner? Meaning that uh, he would uh, he would uh, drill, blast, and whatever needed to be done in mining, he would do it. Oh my goodness. So he had mastered the whole aspect of mining itself, and he got it done. Wow. That's what that's all about. Was he ever afraid to go down in the mines in Timmins? There's a one time... He that uh, he told me when I because I also worked in the mines yeah, for some we'll, time. Yeah, we'll get to your occupation but, uh, for sure. He, when I came out of the mines, 
dad told me, he says, why would you want to get come out of the mines? You have a nice area down there where it's like a new, it's, it's a new world. It's a different world. So he loved it. Oh my goodness, he, underground. He wouldn't, he never became claustrophobic. I think I would have been no, if I was going down 3,000 feet or whatever no, underground. No, no, he enjoyed it. My gosh. Yeah, absolutely. So he was a proud, hard rock miner. Was. What was the name of the company that he worked for in Timmins? I have quite a few people in Timmins that are my audience as Do well. You? All right. So yeah. uh, he, he worked for the Dole Mines. He also worked for uh, Kid Creek. Kid Creek, okay. Yes. They're still in existence, aren't they? Kid Creek is. They both are. Oh, they both are. They both are, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and then... With your father, um, there was some sort of problem working, though, in the mines, wasn't there for a while? Was there, like, some sort of... Did they? Yep. Did he have to inhale? Uh, I, yes. I, I'm not going to say it until okay. I know for sure. Yeah, no, I, you're, you're correct. You're on the right track. So back in the day, there was a, a moment in time when they, they injected aluminum dust... Oh in the mine dry, which is so mine dry is a changing room, yeah, for for the workers to change and then get ready for their day shift. Okay. And so they so what they would do they would inject in a one inch airline a canister full of finely ground aluminum dust, and and they they crank over the open the valve. And it was a condition of employment where they had to breathe this, oh my breathe this in. So we today we know what aluminum dust, aluminum itself does to us today. Yeah. But back then, back in the day. And what year would that be? Approximately in the sixties. Oh, fifties and sixties. Oh, this went on to till the eighties. Oh my gosh! Not that, not for dad, because he pulled out before that. Mm -hmm. But that's. Uh, this dust was supposed to prevent silicosis. And what is silicosis? And why would it? That's a scarring of the lungs. That's uh, so it's the uh, uh, almost if you consider quartz, okay. which is a, a rock. Yeah. Shatters in very small, fine, almost like glass-like particles, and goes and embeds in your lungs and scars your lungs. Yeah. Yes. So, to prevent this silicosis, yeah, they would have them underground hard rock miners ingest aluminum. Correct. Yeah, correct. Aluminum dust. Aluminum dust to coat their lungs. To coat their lungs. Did it prevent silicosis, but then gave them other problems? That's exactly what that. What it didn't do. Oh. It, it didn't prevent silicosis. However, it did cause a lot of problems in the future. Neurological problems or medical? Very much so. Uh, some lung, at the, in most cases, neurological could be ALS. Yeah. Alzheimer's. Had Parkinson's, which dad actually has. So your father it, has Parkinson's. Yes, he's yeah. been living with Parkinson's for some time now. Yeah, my father had Parkinson's as well. Ooh. And Louis body dementia, but yeah, right. the Parkinson's was a, a surprise to us because, mm -hmm. uh, but then we heard reports too with the working conditions where he worked mm -hmm. that they would use um, 
strong uh, insecticides or weed killer, uh, something mm. that long term effect could affect, uh, give them neurological diseases. Of course. But uh, I think it was, I don't know what it was, Agent Orange, does that make sense? Wow. To kill the, the weeds around the transformer stations of where he worked. Okay. So, um, so is, with your. Isn't that something you, they use in a war? Yeah, so that's why I might be wrong saying that. There was some sort of weed killer right. thing that they had to use. Uh, he worked for, as an operator with uh, Hydro that they had to, when there were some low times and not busy times, they would go up on top because mm -hmm. he worked in the dams. And then they would uh, put some sort of like weed killer to get rid of the grass and the weeds growing around. Mm on the grounds of the where the hydro dam was and the transformer stations and the mm -hmm. generating stations and, and so on and so forth. Right. So your dad ended up with Parkinson's. Did, yes. Was there, like, so I heard of a lawsuit that was done years ago with this lady in Sturgeon Falls or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was having to do with hard rock miners having to ingest this kind of aluminum dust. Yes. And she was successful. Very much so. That's great. Yes. So that stopped that practice, I guess. So it's, what do they do now to prevent silicosis in the mines? Like, uh, I'm not aware that anything is being done at the moment. Right. Other than wearing proper uh, respiratory uh, yeah, protection mask. or PPE, what we call it in, in short. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What does PPP mean? PPE is... Personal protection equipment. equipment. Personal protection equipment. Correct. So now instead of hard rock miners ingesting aluminum, which just sounds awful to me. Very much. Because they say aluminum can even cause dementias. Oh, yes. You know, and we, we, we stop using a lot of our aluminum cooking pots and all of that kind of thing yeah. just because of so, what we heard about that. Mm -hmm. And But it was surprising how much they didn't know back then, you know, a lot right. of the time. Or else sometimes maybe companies heard about it, but then they suppress the, the results maybe of what how it could harm their employees yeah. long term. Mm -hmm. I've even considered uh, not using aluminum foil. That's a, yeah. Some I, people are, are switching from that mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, because you just don't know what's what's in there. Is it? I don't. Is it really all strictly aluminum? Is it? It. Yeah, I really don't know. Wow. But anything to prevent dementia, because that too is is on the rise and yes. early onset dementia with mm -hmm. a lot of people. So you really wonder. So then, how long did your father work for the mine? Uh, Dad's worked in the mines. Uh, he a total of thirty seven years. Oh my goodness. Yes, underground. Underground. And then when did he retire and when did he become ill with let's say well with Parkinson's? Well the the illness started before dad retired. Oh it did? Yeah. Oh wow. as most illnesses start and he, the sim he dad noticed some symptoms prior, but most all illnesses start at a time when you won't even notice what's going on and then it's, by the time you do notice it's it's there. It's there, yeah. It's, yes. Dementia is the same way. Same like, idea. Same, like 10, 15 years that you could have underlying symptoms. And it, and you might think, oh, it's forgetfulness or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it could be the, the beginning of dementia where it's sometimes 10 years, 15 years in your body before you finally get an actual diagnosis. Yes. 
and it could be you know then it's full-fledged dementia mm -hmm. but it takes a it takes a long time before you get that kind of diagnosis and i think the same for parkinson's as well right it is yeah um, dad's first sign that he had something going on was actually underground oh because dad was part of a mine rescue team underground so mine rescue is, is, is exactly the, the words say it all. Yeah. But if something were to happen, he's like he's the first aid attendant going straight to the, the situation, and including fires, including emergencies. And he's the, he was the first person to go to. Yeah. So they, uh, when they created a blast underground, they had to go in and they, he was the first to inspect there, that give the, the clear... To proceed right and he could smell the gases and that's the, and that's what dad was known for really however all of a sudden he, he was telling mom that he couldn't smell the gases anymore he didn't understand why and that was his first sign losing the sense of smell is that the first sign for parkinson's or dementia no first sign for parkinson's for parkinson's yes. ah, okay. for in, in his case yeah yeah wow mm-hmm so did he go to the doctor and say, okay, I can't smell anymore? Or? Yeah, he eventually went to the doctor and said, what's, the, what's going on here? I'm not understanding the situation. And they assessed and as they did uh, some testing, and they come out with the, the, the thing that uh, it was Parkinson's. What a shock that must have been to very, him. Yeah, very much so. So did he retire right after hearing that diagnosis? Uh, wasn't that long after. Okay. Gee, and how's he doing now? And how's your mom doing now? Mom is uh, mom is a special person. Nobody can can do what she does. She's earned her spot in heaven. She sure has. <laughs> yeah. From dealing with me, yeah. with myself. With epilepsy. With epilepsy. Yes. Dealing with my grandfather with Alzheimer's who was living with us. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yes. Oh. And then once uh, that went on, now she's dealing with dad with his Parkinson's. Yeah. And what stage is he at right now? He's in the advanced stages where he, he can't speak anymore. Mm -hmm. He has a feeding tube in his stomach because he cannot swallow. Oh. Yeah. He, he doesn't speak. So nonverbal. Correct. Mm-hmm. And he's, he, he used to love to play cards. Still, <laughs> that's one thing you can't take away from him. He's loving it. He still plays cards. Oh yeah, you know what he loves too? What? Whip my ass. We're <laughs> 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 in cards. Oh, there you go. Eh? Yeah, he's a he should have been a card shark in oh, Vegas yeah. or something. He but, but a ton he, of money. You happen to say that, a, <laughs> and my brother says that, Dad, we're going to Vegas. Yeah, and did you? And you're leading the way. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful that he still has that. Yeah, uh, yes. I, I know my dad one time before he passed away, he said, Joe, just make the shaking stop. Oh. And that was so hard to hear him say that. And it it's, it's heartbreaking as an adult child of aging elderly parents when they're suffering and you wish you could do anything in your power. And I know you're good to your parents. And you're good to your mother-in-law as well. But uh, how is it for you coping with, with your parents seeing them 
they're, they're survivors, I think. They Very still like to go to so. camp every every summer, don't they? Your dad with his feeding tube and yes, yeah, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, they, it's it's amazing that mom and dad can still do this. And mom, the trooper she is, goes to camp, and so she, she goes. She there's no no electricity. They run off a generator. My gosh. They heat the place with a wood stove. Mom, yeah. we the wood is chopped, but she's out doing kindling. She's soaking the fire, getting the wood in, getting, making sure Dad is fed, and making sure he's got his medication through his that feeding tube of his. My God, five times a day. My goodness. And making sure that everything goes well, and that Dad is very limited to his uh, mobility. Yeah. So walking and needs a someone there with him 24 hours and even at night time wow. start he can it just happened a couple times again this week just starts choking at oh. night oh and mom is there right all the time for him she's there there's there's no other person in her life except than dad, dad at yeah. the moment what a marriage they have yeah. love between two people very much now, let's go to you, um, your dad as well. You have four children. Um, oh, your siblings. How many siblings do you have? I've got one of each. One of... Uh, a brother and a sister. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Just how you <laughs> threw me for a loop. And so do they live in the area? Or? They, all, they both live here. Oh, they both live here. In, so. the, in the vicinities. Yeah, so right. uh, you with your siblings, you're all together as a family to help your mom and dad. Yeah, it sounds like, and we're actually meeting today later on with mom and dad. That's amazing. Yes. that's great. Uh, unfortunately, in my family, it, that's fallen apart. I mm. I don't have close relations with my siblings except for one. I have five younger brothers. And it's sad mm -hmm. because uh, both my parents are gone now. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but that's okay. I mean, sometimes you have to remove yourself from situations that aren't healthy for you emotionally right. or physically. And, mm -hmm. and I've done that. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that. Right. And um, so, but I have a lot of love from my own immediate family and some really great friends, including your wife, Carmen. <laughs> and uh, so I really appreciate who God has placed in my life to replace the ones that I've distanced myself from right. uh, for my own mental health, mm -hmm. you know. So, um, but so you have two other siblings, and then uh, this is your second marriage, and, but you still you have your four adult children. Yes. And Carmen has a daughter, so you're a stepfather as well. As well. Yeah. So that's great. So um, now let's start with you. When you were young, you you mentioned a few times how your parents, especially your mom, must have had a difficult time with you because you were diagnosed. Or were you diagnosed with epilepsy at a young age, or you just didn't know what was going on? So what? Let's start with you, Dan, as far as your history from a young boy. I was diagnosed with uh, something back when I wasn't even a year old yet. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. No, not don't know if the epilepsy was into play at that moment in time. Yeah. However, it's. Uh, because of a a fever that climbed really high, and all of a sudden I, I turned into a convulsion. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I was rushed to the hospital, where they threw me in a, a 
a tub full of water and ice. Oh my gosh. Submerged my little tiny body as an infant to lower my temperature. Now, I in, didn't know they did that. Yes. Now that would be in the please. year what? That would have would have been in nineteen sixty six. Okay. So you're a young baby with a high fever and your mom brought your parents brought you to the hospital and they to bring down your fever they put you in a bath water of yeah, ice. Correct. Did that work? It lowered the, it lowered the fever. Yeah. But would that itself, the shock, doing this to an infant, would that have caused anything? I don't know. Yeah, because you don't really know. There are some known causes for epilepsy from my research, but there are still unknown causes for epilepsy. Mm -hmm. What do you think caused yours from that time, do that, you think? It's, uh, they claim that that's what caused it. Oh. That, that particular moment. Oh, my God. In, in time. From the, the fever climbing and the convulsion. Oh. And that's when everything got started. Why did you have a fever? Like, were you, was it a virus that you might have received? Do they know? Unknown. Or? Unknown. Completely unknown. So then they brought down your fever, but then what happened after that? Slowly started noticing different reactions that I would have. Hmm. Is that, that first night, yeah, when I had with convulsion, I had some tremors, some shaking, happening in in my crib at the time. Oh my goodness! And it was, it was then that the things started that my parents kind of had an eye on me. Said, "What's going on?" And they noticed little twitches or different things that weren't going on. And then later on, as life progressed, you know, I was maybe a couple of years old, and all of a sudden they noticed that my uh, my lips would start smacking. Oh, was that like mini seizures or? Yeah, that's what, that's what they were. Okay. Still not knowing what was going on. Then there was someone of had an, an kind of an absence where I would... Staring blankly at Yeah, I was just, there was nothing there. Okay. Then I'd come back in a couple, two, three seconds, then I'd come back and everything was fine. Knowing nothing about it, but my parents would notice it. Yeah. Yeah. So when did they bring you to the doctor again to say something's off here with our little guy? He's a little yeah. baby, a toddler. Well, it's a, a, a year old. And they say something's not right with this. They need to, yeah. I'd start having visits in a couple of years. Then by, by the time I was three and four, I was getting other symptoms. But then I, they eventually put me on medication. For epilepsy, yes. because then they determined at what age two or three you had epilepsy, or was it before that? Uh, they, I don't think I, they knew then, yet, oh. but they knew something was going on. So they just gave you medication to kind of calm your system down, or at the time was it this to calm the the part of the symptoms? I guess. Huh. Yeah. I wonder what they gave you. And it's uh, initially I was given some phenobarbital. Uh, oh yes, I was gonna say was it phenobarbital? Yeah, that but was then one. I thought, okay. And I progressed in two different things that, uh, from there, but I think if I can remember right, that was the initial. But 
back, in, if you back up in, a, in a maybe 50 plus years ago, things were drastic. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was... It was experimental. <laughs> a lot of yeah. diseases, how to treat something. Yes. So for you, they felt you had epilepsy at a young age and you were suffering from some sort of seizures. Mild though, possibly they were thinking, but let's yeah, give that, let's give you phenobarbital that, and see right. if that'll Let's see work. what that happens. Right. A trial and everything. Oh let's, my gosh. And to this day, that's what happens with everyone. Let's try this. This doesn't work. Let's try that. Let's, yeah. This doesn't work. Let's move on with something else. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. yeah. With so many different illnesses, bipolar, one, two, schizophrenia, you know, other mental health, but also neurological diseases like Parkinson's, like ALS, Mm -hmm. MS, and whatever. That's right. They try this. If that doesn't work, try something else. Yes. There's no quick fix for a lot of these kinds of, uh, I hate to say illnesses, but Mm -hmm. whatever symptoms that people might be going through. That's right. So then how many years were you on phenobarbital and did it get worse for you, your seizures? Well, things got, uh, things got much worse. I wonder why, but even though you were it's the, on the this medication. Combination of a few things. And uh, one if was something that I learned about like decades later. But something that really affected me when I was just a year old. A couple of years, mm-hmm. my mother came up to me. Actually, that's right. I was speaking at the time, mm-hmm. so she came up to me and said, uh, "Dan, we're going back to the hospital," mm-hmm. which is some, was, was a common occurrence of mine. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So I said, "Okay," but she said, "So," and this is a conversation. This is a piece that I've got that between her and I. I remembered some of the things and she recalled some others. So, and she told me that, that Dan, we're going to the hospital. I said, okay, fine. How old so, were you there? I might've been a couple of years old. Okay. So then she, she mentions you'll be there for a while. I said, okay, got to the hospital, did, did what we had to do, spent the whole day. And that evening, some lady comes over and brings me a tray of food. Interesting. Yeah. Just, You're not eating supper at home with your parents. Yeah. No, I'm with my parents. Oh, you are? Yeah. But you I, weren't at home. Yeah, but I thought home. it was kind of funny. They didn't, never fed mom and dad. Oh. <laughs> they forgot about them. Okay. <laughs> uh, we, and we all look for little bits of humor with our traumatic things that have happened in our yeah, lives. For sure. <laughs> so, and all of a sudden, so I ate, and then, then 7 o'clock came by, and then uh, all of a sudden, uh, there's an, this announcement. Is the nurse comes in, the, says, yeah. knocks at the door, Mr. And Mrs. Vincent, visiting hours are over. Oh my God. She says, oh, okay, so. You didn't know that they were going to be leaving. Well, I, we were all leaving, I thought. Oh my goodness. So, yeah, so dad looked at mom and got up, got her jacket. This was around March. And, so, and I got up too, and mom says, you can't come. Oh. She says, oh, why? She says, because you're not well. Oh. She says, well, I, I knew I didn't have a sore tummy. My arms were fine. There was no blood on me. Didn't have a headache. I was fine to go. Yeah. She says, no, you, you have to stay. And I lashed my arms around my mother. 
start crying. That yeah. nurse that came knocking at the door comes and peels my arms off my mom and dad as I witnessed both of them walking away. Oh my god. Down the hallway. Crying. Oh. Sobbing myself to sleep that night. And wow. that next morning I wake up. No mom. No dad. Yeah. That nurse that comforted me, she was even gone. Little did I know about shift change. <laughs> <laughs> But still, though, you weren't really informed that you were going to stay, no. other than you were just Well, sick. I was, but I was only two years old. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, you didn't understand no. when you're a child going exactly. into the hospital. Mom, yeah, then mom came back. It's amazing you remembered this. Yeah. But what, here's, because I had three pivotal moments in my life. This was one of them. Yeah. Mom came back. And she, I was happy again. Yeah. The whole day went by, seven o'clock came. I looked at mom, she looked at me. I knew what was gonna happen. And at that point I looked down and I witnessed her belly. For nine, eight and a half months now, she had been making my, putting my hand on the belly. I felt the feet, I felt oh. the body's twisting. And she was conditioning me to tell me that I was gonna have a baby brother or sister. Oh wow. And when I looked down, I knew what was going on. I knew exactly what was happening. What did you think was happening? I was being replaced. Oh my God. Oh. And mom left. Oh. And from that gosh. one, that shifted my, my whole train of thought for the next two decades, next 20 years. Oh. I became cold. Yeah. Reserved. And mom came back the next morning. Not a tear, nothing. She says, she looked at me and said, how are you, how was your night? It was kind of fine. Cold. Wow. I, I became cold for the next 20 years because of that moment. Wow. Who would have thought how a child thinks like that, that you could, and I'm sure many think like that. Well, I'm positive I'm not the only one. Oh, for sure not. But it's shocking to hear that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had five more siblings come after me and I, yeah, but I, I never felt that, that I was being replaced, okay. but I hear, I hear of stories like where they're jealous of the younger sibling right. and there's always sibling rivalry and, and whatever, but the, I could see how you wanted to protect yourself. Yeah. As a young child, you were mentally trying to protect yourself from crying again and being hurt. Of course. Uh, now it became, don't, I, I fend for yourself. I'm, I guess I'm, I'm on my own. I'm doing this on my own now. Wow. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. I'm sure uh, so that, counselors or psychologists would find that so interesting too, how yeah. this can affect a child when oh, a child is in the, in the so. hospital. Very much so. And if the mother is pregnant, how a child could feel that, okay, well, she's leaving this one here because she's going and, to have another one. Yeah, and it's no fault to mom and dad. No, and this, no. this was a recipe for disaster. Yeah. It just is the way it happened. The circumstances were there. Unfortunately, it, it happened this way. Yeah, and there was no therapists or counselors back then no. to that degree where they would come and, and talk to a child and say, how are you doing? No, and what are your feelings? That's right. And there's no such a thing as mom and dad staying back because the, the infant, like, listen, visiting hours are over. This is business. You got to go now. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So that shaped you for the next 20 years. Yes. And your mom must have grieved that loss. Oh. To this day, now 
She and she's told me says that uh, when I was talking, when she they come out, I'd ask for information. I asked my parents, then I'd go on and do my own thing. It didn't matter if it was a, someone I didn't know or my own parents. I would just do my own thing. Luckily for me, I was pretty good with judgment. Mm -hmm. But it's essentially I grew up on my own. Wow. Yeah. Because you in my own felt thought. betrayed in, a in way. my own world. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's now dwell on the next years of your life feeling like you're on your own, but mm -hmm. you still have epilepsy. Right. How did you, what were your symptoms like as you got older? Did it get worse? They got worse. They went from uh, what they call focal awareness seizures, actually pity mal at the time. Pity mal meaning a smaller seizure. A smaller seizure. This is where, grand mal. Yeah, so pity, pity mal was a, the, the staring. Oh, okay. The slapping, you know, smacking of uh, the lips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a pity so the, mouth. Yeah, so those kind of things. And these are the things I was experiencing. Can and people help someone who's in that kind of seizure moment? Can, what can you do if you see someone like that? Do you just leave them alone for if, them to go through that seizure? Uh, depending on the, the person themselves. There's so many forms of, of what's going on upstairs. Okay. In how I feel, I... It's beneficial for me to have someone by my side, feeling secure. Okay. However, I get so paranoid. Yeah. And I, I have, uh, have a buildup of saliva. Yeah. Uh, goosebumps on one side of my body. And you actually define this with a line. Like you'll see indentations on my skin on one side and not the next. Crazy. Wow. So if it, yeah, so it's, so it's, it's they're anxious moments. Okay, so anxious, anxious moments. Yeah. So it's not anxiety. This is part of having epilepsy. Yes. But a petite mal. Correct. A smaller version of a seizure. Yeah. Did you ever have a grand mal seizure as uh, you got older? I, as I got older, grand mal seizures became a thing. And I would start experiencing those. So the phenobarbital that they gave you as a young child wasn't cutting it, more or less. Correct. To prevent... The disease. Yeah. Is it a disease or an illness or? A... It's been defined as a, actually recently as a disease. As a disease. So it became worse for you. Yeah. So when did you have your first grand mal or what was the next pivotal moment for you? Or what is a grand mal so seizure? The, so a grand mal seizure is, in my case, is I, I, somewhere where I drop and... I'd be shaking on the ground. Okay. And for... So you drop to the floor, yes. you start shaking. What else is going on? Is your mouth open or your eyes open? Uh, it, it, different people will have different symptoms. Eyes can be, can be rolling. Oh my goodness. In your head. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll be drooling. And you, you often hear people chewing, their mouth has been chewed up because of their teeth. Now, the thing of the past had been mentioned, and, and this needs to be really stated, that people used to put something in their mouths. They, they, they were prompted to put something to prevent the, the person from swallowing, swallowing their tongue. Yeah. That's not possible. 
to swallow your tongue. No. I have heard when I was a young girl that if I saw someone like that to put a wallet in their mouth to prevent them swallowing their tongue or for the, the teeth or whatever. No. And I remember hearing that from Please. relatives. Oh, but, yes. So that's a fallacy. That Absolutely. So what would you do? Like, what would I do if I saw you having a grand mal seizure or anyone else? What would, what would a person do? First, make sure that the person will not get hurt. So moving furniture around, giving the person the space. Okay. If need to, uh, put a pillow underneath the person's head because the person could be hitting unconsciously. Oh, so they could be banging their head on the floor. Yes, and creating a, a lot more damage. Okay. Yes. So grabbing some sort of pillow or a jacket or anything. Something. And if there's nothing, even if you sit down, put let them hit their head on, their, on your lap. Okay. So that's... Something, a, a cushion of some type. Yeah. To soften the blow. Right. And once you can, move them on their side so that... Anything gets lodged in it, gets in their mouth. They can it if they throw up. Oh, okay. They vomit. It will go out, and then they, they don't choke on it. Right. Again, Especially... they're unaware. They're oh. conscious, not knowing what's going on. So they're they're unconscious while they're going through an ep a grand mal yes. epileptic seizure. Yes. They don't know what's really going on. They're completely like. You were completely out of it. Completely. I'm, I'm not aware of a single one. So you don't remember? No. When you have a grand mal no. seizure or when you did have them? I'll, my memory will start off from doing whatever I was doing to waking up in a bed, not knowing what I'm doing there. Oh. Or a hospital. Oh. Wow. It's shocking what, how a body can be have these kinds of things go on yeah. and then your brain your mind doesn't remember no that's right wow. so, so just completely unaware so from a young age as your epilepsy became worse you had more seizures i did what were what were some of the moments of these seizures and how old were you uh, until... well the seizures came in different forms okay where um the petty mal, which I explained. Yeah. The grand mal. And there was also... I, I wet the bed for years till I was 12 years old. Because of the seizures? Seizures or? were... No, these were they're all... They my awareness now, these were seizures. Oh, my gosh. So yes. for parents that uh, give their kids heck for wetting the bed, it might not be just them doing this on purpose or yeah, well, which it could was be a small bladder let's say but it could also be the result of having seizures yeah which was my case my parents didn't know oh my and goodness they, and it was i was kind of labeled as being lazy yeah. didn't want to get up at night oh so i that's was i'm it, glad you brought that up it was it was actually it was actually a, a good thing in certain ways i learned how to to wash my sheets when I was seven years old. Oh my goodness. Every night I'd put my sheets in, in the washing machine and put them in the dryer and make my bed. That's what I would do every day. And wow. according to mom, she mentions this we need to snap him out of this. If this is what he's doing, maybe we'll teach him a lesson. 
he'll understand it's he'll he'll get tired of it and he'll stop wetting the bed at night. But it wasn't the case. My I had goodness. no I had zero control. I remember seeing one of my friends, I was a young girl, and the mother was spanking her daughter oh. every morning because her daughter was wetting the bed. And really? her daughter was only well, we were six years old around the same time and I remember seeing that. And I felt so bad for this other little friend I had whose mother said, you know, you're wetting the bed. You wet the bed again last night. And it was just, it traumatizes me to this mm. day seeing that poor girl get spanked by her mother mm -hmm. for that. And it could have been, you know, could have, could be that her daughter had epilepsy. We don't know, or a small bladder or, mm -hmm. or whatever. But it's just shocking how you know, people didn't know what to do. And right. they didn't attribute it to a possible medical condition, that it wasn't laziness or it wasn't just because you were so tired the night before, let's right. say, or whatever. Yeah. So your mom thought by having you wash your own sheets that it would snap you out she, of it kind she, of thing. Both mom and dad would hope. Yeah. Now, along the way, there, there are certain things that had happened and felt it didn't feel good. And a couple of stories that come to mind. So one Christmas Eve, we were in bed. We were, we were sent to bed so that Santa Claus can come. Right. And I went to bed and I, I was sitting in bed. I was laying down and I can't fall asleep. I can't fall asleep. I can't fall asleep. Because I knew what was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, I hear mom yelling down the stairs, get up. Santa Claus is here. Now, I woke up drenched oh. and I, my siblings went up, they went upstairs and I wasn't coming up. Uh oh. Mom comes down and says, come on up. Santa Claus is here. She says, no, I'm, I'm not going up. If I'm going to go up, I need to go for a shower first. She says, and she denied this. She says, no, you're coming up now because Santa Claus is busy. So she made me come up the stairs and, and recalled, they sat me on Santa Claus. I was soaked in my own urine. Oh. And Santa Claus, as he asked everyone, what would you like? What is your wish for Christmas? What do you, what would you like? And my thought was, get me the heck out of here. Yeah. Yeah. You're so embarrassed. Very much so. How old were you when this happened? I would have been six, seven years old. Oh my goodness. Yes. And, <sighs> and these moments stuck with me. Now, yeah. this is not mom's fault. No. In any way, mom was trying her best. She wanted me to experience what everyone else was experiencing. Yeah. Just like when uh, every now and again, I'd have a sleepover. Yeah. I didn't, and I didn't want to go. Mom says, go, go, go. I'm going to a cousin. I knew what was going to happen. I, it's it's hard to imagine if you haven't been in the situation. Yeah. But going somewhere and knowing and putting your your brown plastic bag on your bed because you know what's going to happen. It's humiliating. Oh. It and these were been. these are instances that happened to me throughout my my yeah. from a toddler to pre-adolescence years. How was it for you in in school or high school? How was it for you? Were you, did uh, you have seizures at school? Oh, absolutely. How were your classmates or your teachers? Who? How did they help you if well, they did? 
Oh, or did you feel completely oh, ostracized? And... Yeah, well, my, my seizures, uh, in, my medic let's go to my medication. Was, were putting my, my eyes were glossy, like all the time because of my medication. I was essentially high since oh. I was this high. Oh my <laughs> God. Tall. Since you were three feet high, you've always looked high. Like, correct. Because of the medication. Yeah, I was always wow. on drugs. Yeah. And Which didn't help. Your, no. your symptoms became worse as you became uh, older. It seemed right? it didn't help the situation with the, even my academics. Okay. Now, second grade teacher was going to teach me a lesson. Oh my goodness! She put me on a first grade. I remember that myself and someone else we both went down a grade because we weren't so-called cutting it. Oh my goodness. And with, I was there for maybe a couple of weeks, two, three weeks. And then they put me back to the second grade. But do you know what that does to a child? Yeah. My son went through something similar oh, like that. A I'm teacher sorry. said, no wonder why you... And then it was just... Yeah, I reported her to the principal and the school board. But yeah, teachers... Most teachers are 100% amazing for children. Mm -hmm. But there's still a few bad apples out there and mm -hmm. have been... And, and they think they're doing good for the child. I mean, Mike used to get slapped with a ruler on his fingers. Yeah. And uh, yeah, my dad has stories wow. too. Had stories too. But yeah. Uh, so what happened in your case? Uh, your teacher said something similar to you yeah. about. So I'm gonna. Re can, if you don't mind, I'll recap what you were saying about the ruler. Yeah. My father is left-handed, but he writes with his right. Yeah, and I have a feeling I know why. Because every time get... he picked up a pen with the left, yeah, he gets smacked. Yeah, yeah. He learned to write with the right. Yeah, I'm left-handed and proud to be a left-hander. <laughs> but I was warned that that would happen in school, and I've wow. stuck to my guns. It's just what I write with my left hand, and and I'm going to be 68 this year. So yeah, that goes back a little bit. Where back then it was almost like terrible if you wrote with your left hand. Your mm -hmm. dad it went through the same thing. Same idea. Jeepers. I mean, we've made advances since then. We did. Was this, as society, oh, yes. but wow, what people suffered through, mm -hmm. and not it, unjustly so. Yeah. You know. Mm -hmm. So with you, how did that? How did you handle that as a young kid? So you've already hardened yourself mm -hmm. mentally and emotionally, but when a teacher tried to teach you a lesson to, to make you cut, cut it, and you're only in grade two, and then she put you in grade one. How did you cope with that? Uh, did the kids make fun of you? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Kids can be so mean to and, other kids. And Adults too. That's when I, I, was, I became, I got in my bubble. Yeah. Yes. To protect yourself. Yes. Cause I, and, that, and that went on from even prior, when I forgot my first seizure at school. When if, actually remember there's the time when mom told me, she said, Dan, you're going to school, you're starting school. That was great. He says, you're going to meet some new friends. And I, I got there and she was right. I got there and there were people everywhere. There's, and we started, she, it was a chatterbox. People started talking about their brothers, sisters, mummies and daddies. Yeah. I did the same. Yeah. And the next day, same idea. We started talking again and all of a sudden game changer. That was when I got my first seizure at school. So oh I, I got that staring episode. Picture yourself as a five-year-old. And all of a sudden you're talking as a five-year-old. 
And all of a sudden, as I'm talking, I stop. And I'm staring at you. That would freak me out. And not, not looking not at you. Moving. Yeah. I'm staring at you and there's nothing there. Yeah, that would scare kids. And all of a sudden, I get, I come back to normal, not knowing that this happened. Yeah. And I see that my classmates kind of back up from me. Because they're scared. Yeah. So f- that kind of set me up with more rejection. Oh my goodness. More feeling of, and that's when I, I really put, I got a bubble around myself and I'm protected with this bubble. Yeah. So yeah. did the teachers know that you had epilepsy? Did they kind of educate? Did they educate the other kids? You know, Dan does this. I don't know that my parents mentioned anything. In hindsight, I bet they wish they did. In a way, because then it would have, maybe the teachers could have told the other students, when you see Daniel do this, don't be afraid. This is what's going on. That's a medical condition. Right. But yeah, back then, (laughs) there was a lot of stuff we just didn't talk about. A lot of secrecy. Even You couldn't even mention the word if someone had cancer. You were so afraid of it, you'd say the big C. Don't want to be ostracized. Oh, yeah. So how did you manage to get through school and, and also deal with epilepsy? And you, did you have any other friends or did you become so More, feeling isolated? Um, I had one friend in primary school for some time, then up to third grade. Then fast forward to ninth grade. And I, I made another friend, a true friend. Yeah. For all of my high school years. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes. At least you weren't super lonely. No, him and I were together all the time. Are you still in contact with this Unfortunately person? Unfortunately not. Oh, that's too bad. Yes. But, you know, we outgrow our friends too, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. And I, I've I've heard saying, saying that it's... Uh, it, it, like all this stuff is okay. People are in your life at the moment, at the time. Yeah. For a reason. Yeah. Then those moments elapse and it's time to move on. Yeah. Which is kind of what I did. Now and but I still cherish those moments yeah. with that friend. Yeah. I do too. I mean, sometimes when you think of former classmates or whatever, mm-hmm. you, you know, you'd be it'd be wonderful to see them, but after all, you kind of like Okay, nice seeing you. Yeah. <laughs> and because and, you might just not have the same interest before. That's right. We don't. It's yeah. You yeah. you grow differently from these kinds of friends. You've so. moved on, and so have they. Yeah. Not so saying this they, in, a, in a bad thing. It's yeah. we both moved on in different directions. Yeah. People get married, divorce, whatever. And yes. Live We've lived a life as such as you have. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. So then, while you were in. Primary school, then high school, your epilepsy seizures continued. When was the final, like, when did you finally say, okay, this has got to, we've got to look at this differently. We've got to figure this out. Or when, I know, I'm speaking because I have the knowledge, knowing that you had surgery mm-hmm. to help your epilepsy or get uh, deal with it better or to improve the symptoms better. So can you talk about that? There was a swimming pool incident you you mentioned. Yeah, there's like before to me. So, well, would you like to talk to our sure. audience about that? Like, just kind of a, you know, what happened 
that it, it became so, so scary for you? Again, being unconscious, I can't give you the, the details because yeah. I, I was there but was not. Right. Um, the story is being has been said that uh, I went down. You were swimming. Eight, I was swimming, went down eight, eight feet of water. Oh my goodness. And my cousin who was with me, we're taking swimming lessons. My cousin who was with me looked around and there was no Dan. He noticed some bubbles surfacing to the top. Oh my God. Looked down and there I was. So him and the lifeguard jumped in, hauled me out, and I found myself later on in the hospital, which is where I woke up. So where I was talking about vomit and it, all this stuff had taken play. And they did the right thing, got me to the hospital, and I'm still here. Yeah, gratefully so. I'm Absolutely. glad. But when you were you were drowning mm -hmm. because you had a grand mal seizure. Yes. And you were swimming, so you were going down to the bottom of the pool and you were drowning. When they pulled you out, did they tell you that they gave you mouth to mouth or CPR or I don't recall that. Hmm. I don't recall if but anything was done. I nor do I may not have asked. Okay. Yeah, sometimes we, we don't want to always know all the details, but uh, obviously someone must have called the ambulance. Mm -hmm. But when they pulled you out, maybe the lifeguard knew to roll you over on the side and try Possibly. to get the water out of your lungs and so on. It's there's, uh, they, they, go through, they do go through training. Yes. Which I, I would think that, that that would have been part of it. That's probably what helped save your life. Mm -hmm. well, of course. So, after this, that was like the big, was that the big catalyst here for you to say, okay, we've got to take a look at this or? Uh, I was, no, because at the time there's, there was no, there was no surgery. It was, there was nothing that you could do about this other than more pills. So, oh, so you took more pills. Oh yeah, I took on, oh yeah, yes, there are more you know, daily pills and from morning, afternoons, evenings and just. Was it phenobarbital as well, or other no, pills? At this point, it had dilatin, it had uh, tegretol, it had different uh, different chemicals that they, they tried to induce in me just to see if they could regulate these seizures. And this all this stuff was shortly lived. And the effects of the of the medication would wear off, and I would then I'd become immune. Okay. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so things would go back to where they were, and then it might. In my graduation year. Grade 12. Or 13 then. I'm grade 12. Grade 12. What year would what? that be in about? 1984, I think. Okay. Yeah. My doctor comes up to me. My neurologist who I was dealing with. Neurologist from Timmins? Neurologist. He was from Toronto. Oh. So he'd fly to Timmins. Oh my gosh. Every now and again. And I was sweet. We'd interact. Yeah. And he came up to me and said, Dan, would you entertain the idea of going for surgery? Surgery? I'd never heard of this. How old were you when this happened? Oh, grade 12. So you'd be so about 12. 16, 17 years old. Yeah. Okay. So, he says, never heard of it. He says, well, what, uh, what are my chances? He says, 98%. Wow. Sign me up. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I said. Say, count me in. Yeah. Sign me up. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. He says, not so quick. He says, why? He says, I, you need to be informed 
of, of the following says, you'll, you will be the 11th patient in the world to undergo this surgery. Oh my gosh. I said, whoa. First, <laughs> says, wow, I could do a little bit of math. <laughs> says, where did you get 98% out of 10? The 11th patient hadn't been done yet. <laughs> You're the 11th. I was the 11th. So he, that, that was, yeah. That's, so that's very my, experimental. Very much so. 98%. I don't think so. Oh my goodness. So, and I, here it was at my graduation year, I was 18 years old. Okay. Age of consent. <laughs> what did your what parents did, say? They had no say. Oh, there you go. It was my decision. At a time when my classmates, their major decision was which used car they were going to buy. Yeah. And mine was, what do I do with this life? Do I end it now? Yeah. Yeah, have this brain surgery. Or do I have to go for brain surgery? Oh my gosh. And if, yes. So I said, wow. Really? Yeah. So I, and I, I came back. That's monumental. <laughs> uh -huh. I came back. I said, Doc, what if I don't? Yeah. What, what if I don't go through with this? Okay. That was a fair question to ask, for, for sure. sure. And yeah. he looked at me. And here's a tall man. Broad shoulders. Huge hands, fingers like sausage, square jaw. Yes. Yeah, Intimidating in anybody's eyes. But he looked sheepish, looked frightened. Oh really? Look. And I knew what he was gonna say was gonna wasn't gonna be good. So I braced myself in my yeah. chair. Yeah. And he lets me know. He says, Dan, what you keep on getting seizures, what happens is that every time you get a seizure, part of your brain shuts down. And then his words, word for word, you keep on getting seizures, you're turning into a vegetable. Oh. And when he said that, wow, I felt like throwing up. Oh my gosh. So like, brain, your brain cells die every time. Some of your brain cells die right. every time so, you have a seizure. And he was more or less saying, you're going to be a vegetable if you don't yes. do this. So I, I took a few moments and I knew what I didn't want. Yeah. I really knew what I didn't want. I didn't want to be a burden to society any more than I already was. So I took my chances. I said, Doc, do what you have to do. Yeah. Wow. That's what I did, Joy. Good for you. Yeah. So what was the process for you to have this brain surgery? And when they say, what did they do with your brain? Oh gosh, this is, a lot of it was barbaric. Oh my gosh. These are, like, these are things that I've never shared with anyone. Share away. This is your time. <laughs> they, there were moments when they would tie me up to, to a wheelchair because they, they stripped me all my medication. Oh my gosh, you had to have withdrawals. <laughs> the withdrawals and they tied me to a wheelchair, physically tied down so I wouldn't hurt. I wouldn't get what, hurt. What hospital were you at for this? I was at the Wellesley Hospital, which is no longer existent in Toronto. Oh, okay. <sighs> so then you had to go through withdrawals. Yes. To withdraw from all this medication. Yeah. Plus you still probably had seizures going on. How yes, and, and the seizures would ramp up because of it. But th this was part of the testing they were doing. Right. Holy geez. So how did, do you remember that? Do you remember going out like unconscious from uh, a seizure? No, I don't remember going unconscious. And to 
Did you call your mom and dad and say, bring me home, like they're tying me down to a I'd wheelchair? Call, but I'd call them, but, but I was limited to call. Because for one, we didn't have a, a cell phone. No. It was a landline. Yeah. And I recall the, the calls were, I think, 34 cents a minute. Oh, yeah, they were. Yeah. At the time. 34 cents a minute. But you weren't... Were you calling for support or like get me out, out of because the Because of fright. And, I, was, I, and yeah. I had no one to talk to. I had no relatives. I had just no one around. Just me. At 17 yeah, I, years me, old. Me. Eight hours away. Or 18 years old. Yeah. Yes. In this bed with my life on my hands right. and my parents not being there. Yeah. I went through the same thing at Sick Kids when I had really? scoliosis. Wow. Yeah. Ouch. How, yeah. And how old were you? 15. Wow. So same idea. Yeah. My parents were 900 miles away in Abitibi Canyon, north of Timmins. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I remember crying, get me out of here. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, that was more when I went to, after Sick Kids, after my surgery, I was there for a month. And then I went to the Ontario Crippled Children's Center. Mm. And that's the first time I saw some horrific sights. One boy had no forehead because he was in a duck hunting accident oh. and kids totally deformed from car accidents and whatever. And I never grew up ever seeing that kind of, you know, stuff. So it was, yeah. uh, I felt I was in a horror hospital and it, but yeah, when you're far away oh, from your parents, so that must have, those images must have stuck with you forever. Yeah. But what I did eventually is I, I, as I was, I was on a striker frame and then on a bed frame and in a plaster cast for months and months. Yeah, I was all together away from my family for six months, but I was, after the plaster cast came off, I was in a wheelchair and then I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to try to see if I can help the nurses, especially in the baby's ward where kids were deformed or mm -hmm. from accidents or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, had different things wrong with them. And it, from being, feeling so helpless to fi finding like my way to survive that was to feeling helpful. So I changed mm -hmm. my mindset from being helpless to helpful. And I think that's what really mm -hmm. helped me cope with that. Wow. So it's, and that's what happens. I actually, I had what you're saying there. I had, a, I went for a coffee with a friend of mine two days ago. Yeah. And he asked me, he says, how did you turn out to be the person you are today when you've gone so much through so much adversity as along the way? Yeah. And most people would fold. Yeah. Yeah. And I got thinking, says, how did that happen? Yeah. I, I think it's just a mindset. Yeah, you could become a bitter old person I could have and been. hate the world and life, but, or you could just say, well, that's my story but, and what I went yeah. through. And, and But the, I think the fact that I didn't, I wasn't depending on anyone anymore yeah. from, from the very young age. Yeah. That's what kind of set the tone. Yeah. And I developed into a certain person. Yeah. And along with both, with having two loving parents was what's very helpful. Yeah. So now, after you had the withdrawal, and you went through withdrawal symptoms, and you were going through seizures, mm -hmm. strapped to a wheelchair or a bed, let's say, probably a bed at times too, you were restrained. Yes. Then they said, okay, you are a candidate for this surgery yes. where we're going to remove part of your brain. Mm -hmm. 
They didn't say that. Oh, they didn't they say did, that. No, they didn't say that. Because, because from the newspaper article or an article that you were interviewed, it said part of your brain or whatever. Correct. So but, how did they word that with you? Well, <laughs> we're going to take some they, of your brain here's, out. Here's what was mentioned. But uh, as actually, as, as I was And that's our along, sick kind of humor when we're, when we're, we've been through some rough times. We kind of have right. this weird, sarcastic kind of humor. But anyways, just that's a coping mechanism, yes. folks. So a, we're not yeah. weird. Well, we are, but uh, you know, we're one, unique. Right. The one thing I do recall <laughs> just before this happened... <laughs> Was that I was when they, they had stripped me from my medication and I was in bed and all of a sudden I felt my heart palpitating. And I, lo I was looking at the clock, which was on the wall, and the clock was going this, the, need the second needle was going this fast. Okay. People talking to me, I could tell the lips were just smacking like 100 miles an hour, but I couldn't understand them. So I, could, I couldn't make up, make up what was, what was happening. Oh my goodness. And... I, then my my legs gave out on me, paralyzed. I couldn't feel them anymore. Called the nurse, and she thought I was kidding. Mm -hmm. I, said, I am not kidding you. Yeah. Then she lifted the leg, and all of a sudden her face just dropped. Why? Because she she thought I was I was pulling her leg. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> Another one of our sarcastic sick jokes, folks. But anyways. <laughs> but, so she and. Laughter is good medicine, they say. <laughs> That's right. Said it might be the medication, and she left it at that. Oh. The lack of medication. Mm -hmm. And that evening, I started getting frantic, and I started shaking the rails. And I recall a, a team of people come in with a big machine, and then I was out for three days. What the heck happened? Good did question. you? Nobody did you have ever, a stroke or a heart attack? Nobody ever spoke about that again. I, I asked questions. I wonder if they used the paddles on I, you. Nobody spoke anything. Nobody would tell my my parents don't even know about this. What happened? Holy I told them afterwards, smokes. but they, but that what I felt. But they know nothing about this. And they then you were have. out for three days, and they probably didn't even tell your parents. Maybe. Back then, that's mm -hmm. how things were. Well, that's these, they were never told. Your heart might have just uh, reacted to, like, it's like an addict. Could a heroin act, addict, you know, and then they go into cardiac arrest, let's say. Yes. Holy gee, and you were only 18 years old. So I was 18 years old. Wow. No. Do you suffer from PTSD from all of that, do you think? Don't know. You probably do, but you don't know. You don't know. No, no. So I just then cope with it like I cope with everything else. Yeah. So that's unfortunate, but perplexing. And then at the same time, I, I'm always been a curious person. Right. You wonder if you could ever find out. You'd have to go back and find out those medical records if they even exist. They probably don't even exist. Yeah, I that, don't know. That goes back 40 years now. Yeah. But you'd have to, you know, if you could obtain those medical records to find out what happened to you mm -hmm. and what did they do yes and why were you out for three days i That's, don't know yeah so this was all at the wesley hospital yes in toronto and then when after that did they feel you were okay enough medically okay enough and now the withdrawal symptoms are have dissipated let's say from all the epilepsy uh, medicine that you were on, 
for them to say, okay, let's do this surgery. When did that happen? Uh, like a week or so after? Yeah, this was done within, it was all within a month. Okay. Every, the whole deal was done within a month. On December 11th, 1984. So when I went on the, in the OR on the table mm -hmm. and they did their thing. Now their thing was that they were going to, going to go in and remove some of the dead cells that were causing the short. Oh my goodness. Brain. So they could actually physically see, because I'm not a doctor, physically see dead cells. I guess. In your brain. Not so, being a doctor. Yeah. I, I, that's all I can think of, yeah. So they removed the dead cells, but then what did what else did they remove so that to prevent you from having more seizures? They, they, they removed the, the cells and put, put the, the skull back together because they had removed a whole big chunk of the skull and put it back in. Yeah. Let the swelling go down, put the skull, the, the plate back in and we're done. Now, I didn't find out what they had done until I was in my 40s. But when they did the surgery, I thought it was part of the lumbar or something like it, when they say the dead cells, like, yeah, right. how, did, how did you word that? When they remove a section of your brain. Right, it's a, it's a, it's a resection. It's a, it's, a, it's a right temporal lobe resection. Right temporal lobe of your brain. And that's where all the dead cells were. That's, that, that was a side that, was causing, that were causing the seizures. So they luckily for me, I didn't, my seizures were not generalized throughout the whole brain. It okay. was one section. Oh, and so they removed that that part of your brain at during that surgery or was it during that surgery just the dead cells that's the, the during that surgery they removed the dead cells that's all in you oh so when did you find out about the right temple oh i'm gonna right mess temporal up lobe. Lobe. It's, it's, um, this, i'm gonna write that down uh, i found that out actually I had gotten into an accident, a vehicle accident, because I had been driving for quite some, for many years along the way. Yeah. And I was in my late 40s, maybe early 50s, when I went to see a neurosurgeon for a whiplash. And the neurosurgeon looks and is looking at on his, or actually her screen, and looks at me with a smirk, says, Mr. Vincent, what happened when you were younger? I'm thinking she obviously is looking at my brain. Yeah. Because she's seeing something. Witnessing witnessing what had happened on that operating table like, you know, 30 plus head. years ago. Yeah. And I explained the story that I've, I just spoke with you. Now, she has a smirk. So that, that explains what I'm looking at. <laughs> I asked her, could you share this with me, please? <laughs> I would love to see this. See what's going on here. Yeah, so with my she brain. prints this out. <laughs> oh, she printed it out. Prints out, yes, the, oh. a sheet of you know, on a sheet, yeah. sheet. I'm looking at the print, and I asked the doctor. So, what's the little the little white spot on top of my head? She says, "Well, that's the void in your brain." No, <gasps> oh, that can't be it. Says, and I turn a page around. Says, "This spot. Says that's a void." A void. So empty spot. So my pivotal moment num number two was that surgery. Pivotal, this is my pivotal moment number three. This is when I found out they had removed the whole right temporal lobe. The whole right temporal 
temporal temporal lobe lobe of your brain removed and i asked the doctor says how's this how are you and i having a conversation right now as we speak how do you function when part of your brain is taken out and her answer to me your brain has obviously remapped itself it remapped itself yeah my gosh well, there's neuroplasticity as well. So you weren't really told this at 18. No. They, they just said we're taking out dead cells. Yeah, but they didn't say. They never mentioned it. To that to detail. Extent. And your parents didn't say to you years later, oh, I by the put, way. <laughs> actually, and that when this happened, I asked mom, did they, ever, did, not, did they not ever tell you what happened? Said, no. Didn't you ask? Yeah. Nope. Nope. Well, people had doctors high on a pedestal. And yes, a lot of times did. they you did not ask questions. You just sat there and listened. Yeah. My doctors, priests, and priests. Say, I was gonna say that too. Like you didn't question your priests either. That's correct. Or ministers or whatever. But yeah, doctors were like that. Now we we walk in with a list of questions and we wanna know. That's exactly. Thankfully yeah. things have changed. Yeah. So, so that's what I had found out. That, wow. So the, the whole rate had been taken out. In your 40s, you found that out. In my late 40s, correct. That's mind-blowing right there, speaking of brains. Uh Wow. You must have felt like you went through a miraculous surgery, recovery, and your brain remapped itself. Because, first of all, when you have epilepsy, people think, how can they function? How can they drive? How can they get an education? How can you work? And you have a very successful career. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then... Part of your brain is removed during surgery to prevent further epilepsy seizures. And has that helped? It's helped. The, the, the surgery? Yeah. Has helped some. It got rid of the grand mal. The, oh, it got rid of the grand mal. Yes. The, the seizures that you could see? Yeah. Me being on the ground? Yeah. They got, it got rid of that. So but that's what, a miracle, really. Absolutely is. Yeah. Now, what, what remained... Was that anxiousness, the anxious feelings I was talking about? Mm-hmm. That those goosebumps, that yeah. saliva, yeah. and actually nausea. It's, I had a stomach pain really bad. And when, in my childhood, my body was vibrating all the time. I thought that was normal. Oh, really? It, Isn't I, that knew, I knew nothing but. Right. So you'd feel like always a vibration machine Very, kind of thing. Yeah. Like on edge and just like Yeah, scared. anxiety. So did they give you like a tranquilizer or like level thyroxine or whatever to calm down the anxiousness when you would it, tell them that? Uh, they gave they were giving me the a part of this. Yeah, so phenobarbital was one of them. They were at that uh, when I had a young age. Mm-hmm. But no, the doctors had never ever claimed that these were seizures. They didn't tell you. They never told me, not once. Oh, for goodness and sake. Here I am in my 40s when I find out that what I was experiencing were seizures. Wow. And I said, wow, how crazy is that? But I had, what the crazy part is that, okay, when I got went through the surgery, they removed the, the right temporal lobe, but I, I still took my medication. Did you need to, though? Oh, I needed to. Oh, you still did because of that feeling, that anxious well, feeling. Well, nobody knows what's going to happen. I'm, I'm the 11th patient. I'm going, yeah. under, going this thing. Nobody, nobody knows what's going to happen. Right. So fast forward 10 years. So about 28? Post-surgery. You I, had another surgery? No, post-surgery. Oh, post-surgery. Okay, yes. sorry. 
post-surgery. Yes. Okay, at, at 28. Correct. So what happened then, Dan? I, I decided, now this is not for whoever's listening to this, please consult your family physician, consult your neurologist, consult your epileptologist, whoever is taking care of you before you do any of what I've done. Yeah, so we're just putting it out there. I am not we're, a doctor. Yeah, we're not doctors. We're talking to Daniel Vincent about his life story. He's not in any way suggesting uh, any medical uh, influences at all or, or recommendations. So always consult your doctor. Go ahead. I, I decided 10 years gone by, in my own mind, I've got, I have no more seizures, not knowing that this anxiety is part of the seizures. Oh, because they never put the two and two together. You weren't told that this anxiety is part of having seizures. I thought there was two separate issues. Oh. I just thought I was an anxious person. Yeah. Now, this anxiety in this, and in the form of paranoia, or if, if I get this, I would just, anyone moves, I get paranoid something's going to happen. So it's, it's I'm it's feeling of doom, feeling of yeah. I'm something bad is going to happen. Don't yeah. know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So 28 I decide that I'm going to start cutting back on my medication. It's been 10 years since. Yeah, on your on own on. kind of thing. <laughs> on my own without a doctor's permission. Not telling the doctor what's going on. I've done that with my blood pressure pills. Okay. Don't feel bad. Oh, thanks. I, I feel better now. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my grandmother, when she felt like uh, not energetic enough, she used to take an extra little quarter of her thyroid pills. And right. I thought, that's wow. great advice. Wow. And I did the same. But, I mean, it could end up in heart problems or yeah. whatever. So, please, okay. folks, always talk to your doctor. Please. But, yeah. Yeah. So, and so you started... On your own. Yes. So I started, so I, I take my, I dropped the medication a little wee bit. And if I started, if it was okay, I keep on. I'd stay that way for maybe a, a couple of months. Yeah. But if it, if I felt a, a reaction, I'd go back up. Then I drop half of it. I slow, I cut it down so in very minimal pieces. Yeah. Until one day, I was taking no more medication. And fast forward, I did have an, an, a, a visit with a doctor, my neurologist at the time. Yeah. Because back when I was doing this, they were, the epileptologists were not known. I had never heard of the term until recently. Yeah. So the neurologist came up to me and says, what have... I noticed that you hadn't been taking you hadn't been refilling your medication. What's going on? And I mentioned what what I had done. I, listen, I had been called out, right? Yeah. So I like, okay, okay, got to come clean. Yeah. Here's what I did. Oh, he took his tore a strip off of me. Because I did. was still again initial stages, right? That was the the eleventh patient in the world. They, they didn't know what was going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. So. So did you feel bad and say, okay, doc, I'll get back on them? Or did you say, thanks no, for your... I, I go back to my bubble. I'm in my... I'm, yeah. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. You... I've got a, this... As a human being, I feel we have to give ourselves more credit than what we do sometimes. We know our bodies well. 
when I had thyroid cancer, my doctor was saying, well, you can't get pregnant. Uh, he didn't think that I could have thyroid cancer. Just go home and drink some wine with your husband and then maybe you'll <laughs> relax and get pregnant because we've been trying for two right, years. Right. And then one time I, I said, I, I went in there, I had trouble swallowing and oh. I felt like a lump in my, my throat. And then he, and then he checked, and then I had this huge tumor inside my thyroid mm. gland. And I remember being very upset with my doctor because oh. I felt he was making me feel that I was crazy because we were trying so hard, and I, I wasn't doing like he wasn't giving me credit for lis listening to me tell him about my symptoms. Right. And so yeah, I've had some issues with some doctors in the past, but. I feel as a person, we know our bodies more. We're, We're living in our bodies. Correct. And so trust that gut instinct or trust that intuition. Mm -hmm. And so you did the same. I did. And how were the results with you scaling back and then eventually uh, going off your meds? I still experienced those, those feelings of anxiousness. But as long as they remained... The same and not yeah. not increased. Yeah, I was okay with it. it was just anxious. You know, just anxious. Yeah, as very bad. Yeah, in anybody's eyes. Yeah, if they if anybody would experience it, but they weren't. They weren't uh, excelling. They and weren't increasing. They weren't debilitating or interfering with your job. Let's oh. say. Oh, they were debilitating. Oh, they were debilitating. Oh, very much so. You're anxious. This feeling. happens. I just can't can hardly function. Oh wow. But then it didn't, uh, it wasn't instrumental in you saying, okay, I'm going to go back on my pills. Uh, no, I, I was determined. Okay. Determination. Wow. It, uh, the catalyst of this whole thing is actually, because I, I rarely experience these anymore. That's amazing. Don't take any medication still. Good for you. And how old are you? I'm 58. Hey, he looks 48. He looks 40, folks. Just giving you a heads up. He looks amazing. You're 58. Thanks. I'm 50. You don't look your age. Oh, well, thanks. Um, and so you're feeling good now, other than the anxious feeling. No, I the anxious feelings are gone. So how but did you learn to cope with that, deal with that, heal yourself from that, let's say? I love your Facebook page, by the way. You oh, have amazing, you. inspirational memes that you... And, proverbs or, or writings and sayings but how did you heal yourself to get rid of anxious the anxious feeling that you had which is i think part of what you had before like epilepsy mm -hmm. to some degree uh i think the two like you say goes hand in hand so okay. how did you do that because i i'm not a doctor folks but i feel you know 50 percent of the population has anxiety issues okay so how <clears throat> did you heal yourself I've crazy is is all by accident. Okay, I want to hear about it. <laughs> was a total. It's a byproduct of what I was doing. And what were you doing? So, here's a friend of mine. Actually, a colleague he says, "Dan, want to go see? Want to go to a meeting with me?" He says, "Meeting for what?" He says, "We learned how to make extra money," and I was in between jobs. So, hey, money was quite fine by me. Yeah, oh yeah. I, I could use it. <laughs> yeah, we all could. I could use it, yeah. <laughs> so so I, I, I go along with him as well. So we, we go to this meeting and it's a multi-level marketing. And I had, Joanne, I had experienced something in that, that day that 
turn my life around. Wow, that's amazing. Turn my life. So we won't name companies or anything. No, we don't intend to. No, and we're not promoting any MLMs. But I will tell you something. Yeah. I will tell you something. I got there and people were introducing me to stuff. They talk about their dreams and talk about different things. That's a little hokey on my part. Yeah, right, 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 dreams. So then they explained a, a, few, a few things. And, and one guy mentioned something to me. His statement really turned my life around. He says, mm-hmm. I believe in you. So that's what he said. That's what he said. And how did that turn your life around? Little did he know, did he know about my background. Maybe he wouldn't have said that. Yeah. <laughs> but he did. But he did. But God's grace. <laughs> so meaning that I could do, do I could do what they were doing. Okay. And make that money. He had that confidence in you. Or... And for the first, Joanne, for the first time in my life, I heard the words, I believe in you. Because back, wow. my parents didn't know my fate. Yeah. The doctors who had operated on me, who, the 11 patients in the, world, in the world, did they think I was going to go on social security? They probably did. And at th- this time, I was on my way, I was well on my way uh, on a different path. Yeah. And he said, believe in me? Really? Then I got involved. They introduced me to a, a system. And that's what turned my life around. The system was positive thinking. Positive thinking. So they introduced me to tapes back when they had yeah had cassette tapes. Yes. Books and functions. Yeah. I listened. To, I was religious about this. Listened to those tapes daily. Read the books weekly, and went to the functions monthly. Yeah. And I enjoyed this. I enjoyed the positive of everyone. Yeah. And slowly but surely, my confidence started to build. Wow. I became assertive. And in the end, I became happy. Yeah. Isn't that something? Just because someone said to you, they believe in you. They believed in me. But you also did your homework. You also kept on. You you did your homework, meaning that you wanted to explore that whole positiveness well, field. And, and that takes work. Yes. Reading material, but, listening to material. But, yeah. But this was all because of what I had started. So a, a year goes by, two years go by. Fast forward 10, 15 years, and maybe $50,000 maybe, you know, $50, worth oh of material, oh of education. Yeah. I had become a different person. That's amazing. I had become a, a someone a completely different. But then I, I have, here's, here's the kick. I look back. And I'm thinking of all my anxious moments and all this. I said, where's that anxiety? It's all gone. What happened? Yeah. I had no idea what happened. And I, I, then all of a sudden, I, I think back. I put everything together. It's my whole personal development that turned around. My confidence my, and how I got to that stage that prevented those seizures no actually i still didn't know there were seizures that anxiety to come back that's truly incredible right and when the day that i was mentioned that these were seizures i got thinking to myself if these were seizures and i eliminated this on my own no medication 
Yeah. Just how crazy is this? And move forward a, few, a couple of years. I said this. I need to share this with the world. So that that's what I'm getting up to now because you do work for a mining company in the Sudbury area. Yes, I still do. And that's your full time day to day job. But the, you do something incredible also on the side for yourself just to help others. And so what do you do to help others with this positive thinking? I inspire others as I, I put out so many quotes. I've been doing this for the last for 10 years now, Joanne, already. Quotes, so quotes meaning uh, positive statements. Positive uh, statements. And then and I, memes I put... memes or, yeah. I, I write, write out scripts. Uh, daily during weekdays and I write out scripts I put it out for people to understand how I live how things happen how and essentially how I've eliminated my eliminated my own seizures yeah and improved your your emotional phys and physical health your mental health I, yes explaining how emo how I reduce my stress Okay. How I gain my confidence. How yeah. I prevent things from affecting me. Yeah. Which is essentially a, a major, major trigger for my seizures. Stress. And yes, stress is. Yeah. My anxiety mm -hmm. can cause. I sleep well. And yeah. I make sure that I have a good sleeping pattern. Well, that's important too. That's huge. Sleep is so underrated. Like we have to really take care of sleeping so, seven, right. eight hours if possible. I eat pistachios at night a lot of time oh, yeah. and it has magnesium in it. it so does. I find, uh, and I take magnesium and that gives me a really good sleep. Nice. But it's important to sleep well. Very much. To feel rested the mm. next day. So besides, yeah, so this is what you do. You And what about your diet? I have, here's I follow my I have a triangle, and if 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 one of these points don't open up, things can go sideways. Yeah. But the triangle is reduce stress, get proper sleep, or proper rest, and proper diet. And when you say proper Forward diet, what does that mean for you? For me, it's uh, contrary to what a lot of people think. To what a lot of people feel. I eat a lot of meat with a lot of fat. Yeah. I'll eat vegetables, but my fruit, I put it aside. But now I've gone on, in the past maybe year now, I've been on fasting. Oh. How about that, uh, any sugars? You don't have sugar either, eh? No, Carbohydrates? no sugars are not good for me. No. No, no, no. Why? They, they, uh, they'll amplify seizures. There you go. And what about carbohydrates like uh, pastas and yeah, stuff? Yeah, same like idea. That? It it turns into glucose. Okay, and again, not good and for you. And sugar, which is not good for you. So you are super disciplined. I'm very disciplined. What um, I'll, I've eliminated most fruits. Because of sugar? I love fruit. No. And so I does. love Nanaimo bars. <laughs> Butter tarts. <laughs> oh, that's oh no. <laughs> I want my Nanaimo bar. <laughs> uh, 
in my platoon. There's a Canadian in me. Yeah, anyway, sure. so you so, don't have any of the fun stuff. No, I, I don't. But, in, but you're a happy guy, so it's not affecting you. I, 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 I don't miss it because it's been out of my diet for so long that it's. Yeah. I just don't miss it. And you I exercise. used to be the potato chip guy. Oh, you were the potato I chip guy. I love potato chips. <laughs> love them. I do too. Because oh. I. But back you in my younger days, that too. I, I had. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. We're so, all human, folks. We are. But Dan's superhuman, so uh, there you go. So back in the day, I, I recalled going to get. Uh, <laughs> I had my uncle. I, I was in Timmins. And my uncle drove me to Sudbury because I, uh, I was looking for some potato chips. Uh oh. Because they had no ruffle potato chips in, back in Timmins. No. So I drove How to Sudbury and I bought. <laughs> A cabinet full of potato chips. Ruffle potato Ruffle potato chips. Oh my gosh. Barbecue. Oh, I love barbecue chips. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I was the I was a chip guy. Okay, well there Loved. you go. So Loved. there you go. And but, you changed your life around so you could have a better life. Correct. Do you exercise? Daily. And what do you do for exercise? Oh gosh. I I've got a one hour routine. Oh good for cardio. you. Cardio. Yeah. And it's it's about muscle. Now, yeah. Um, so you do all the good stuff. How can people reach you to talk to you about their epilepsy? Or you have this service that you also have, like people can talk to you about their epilepsy, but you also have this service where you're just a really good listening ear because you're not a counselor. You're a millwright, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're millwright at, at one of the mines in Greater Sudbury, and Sudbury is known as the ni- the nickel mining capital of the world. But um, what I your your service is is something to do with listening to people, just tell you about their their epilepsy. You're not offering any advice or anything like that because you're not a social worker or a counselor, but you have your life's experience. And so what do you do for others to help? Because you mentioned that a little bit before this, before we started talking about how perfect you are as far as eating and exercising and all mm. this positive stuff. Sorry, you mentioned perfect. And I, I, know I, I see myself far from perfect. I know, I know. I'm just teasing I've got so you. many areas in my life that, that need to be refined. Oh, I, me too. <laughs> Don't we all, right? Yeah, I know. But I'm just kind of jealous because you don't eat dessert. And I really <laughs> love my dessert. So there I you go. I'm I'm bar. <laughs> but how can people reach out to you, Dan? Uh, and what kind of uh, thing can you do for people like uh, to help them? Oh. With your social media, I, I have the, you have an amazing Facebook page. But Thanks. So what, you, like, what can people do if they reach out to you? Because people are basically shy. A lot of people are. are. So how can someone let's say they're struggling or they have a child that's struggling how can they contact you they can seek me out through social media i've got i'm my facebook page is i'm always there so daniel vincent is your facebook under daniel vincent same idea with uh, instagram okay linkedin linkedin i'm on tiktok okay Mm -hmm. x twitter uh, I've, I'm not as active on Twitter. Twitter's not as prominent of a 
okay. page from your different platform. Uh, and so when someone contacts you, what can you say to them or what do you do? Like you, you, well, you I'm, just kind okay. of a, just a good listening let me clear, Yeah, well, uh, let me clarify what you, you mentioned uh, about uh, the counselor or the or therapist. Says I am. I don't have any certification. I am not a doctor, no neurologist, epileptologist, or family doctor. Or I don't have any letters of any kind after my name. However, I'm someone who's lived with epilepsy for a long time. Yeah, someone who understands seizures, not just studied seizures. I understand the seizures. I understand what they do to you. Mm -hmm. I understand the pedimel, the grandmal, the focal focal aware, the auras, and all the stuff that I was explaining about the anxious moments, the, the tightness in your stomach, and the saliva, the goosebumps, you name it. I, yeah. I've gone through it. Yeah, I was shocked to see all the symptoms for epilepsy and the different kinds of epilepsy. And oh my goodness. There are so many. There's so many. Yeah. And because of this, I... I, I can offer a lot of tips, a lot of different things that can ha that can happen. And because of the fact that I've I managed to reduce my own seizures, yeah, I offer a lot of a lot of information on how this can be done. Now today I'm I'm interviewing people from all over the world, so all over the globe, and I'm interviewing people to see how they how they're doing. And I, I'm, I, I became really, really curious to see how people were doing, people who are living with epilepsy and how they're going about their, their own journey. Because my journey is one of many, many. Yeah. And all our, of our journeys, even though people can relate to me, every single journey is different. Yeah. And I want to, I want to know what yeah. they're like. So what do you want to do with this, with this study? more or less, when you interview other people. People just also contact you just to say, I'm struggling, right, with their epilepsy. But with this other new thing that you're doing, so interviewing, what are you, are you compiling a list? This or? is my, this is for my personal records. Mm -hmm. And I'm, what I'm, I'm also currently uh, looking at what people need in life and what, what I can create for them. For them. So and what, how it can help them out. Right. And great. Uh, would you share this with, uh, is it Epilepsy Canada or Epilepsy United States? Like, there, there are many. Are there big in, foundations? In Epilepsy in America. There's, there are many different foundations everywhere. Right. For yes. epilepsy. For epilepsy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when you compile this statistics, let's say, or a general overview of what you're running into when you do interview right. other people, that have epilepsy, uh, you're just you're going to take these notes and then figure out what more you could do. What I can add oh, to the mix, add to, to the what mix. I've what I've already currently done. What I can, how right. I can help people out, and and so far the feedback is has been outstanding. I've been the people who have been contacting me. I've I've had so many. So many people come up to me and say, wow, you got me to, I was really closed up, but now you got me to open up. Thank you so much. I've got so many testimonials for things that I've done mm -hmm. for people. Mm -hmm. And the, it's, it, you know, it's, it's heartwarming. Yeah. It's heart wrenching in certain ways. Yeah. Story, there are stories that are out there that just, I, 
Yeah. How you couldn't wouldn't believe. Yeah. However, the stories like I, I shared myself with me. Yours with, was heartbreaking for sure. Yeah, with, but, with the yeah underwater, or waking up on on the ground and uh, dri driving my pedal bike and getting stopped by the police for drunk driving, not oh. knowing what was going on. Little did they know what I what, what was going on. My God! Uh, different things. I, I had so I have so many stories. Yeah, I can imagine. We or getting arrested, or getting uh, held back by security. Yeah. For uh, as an uh, looked at as an imposter. So police thought you were drunk when you were having an epileptic seizure. You were held by back by security, thinking you were an imposter. What yeah. the heck does that mean? Like imposter? <laughs> what? How could they think you were an what the heck? I was actually the, the hospital after I got my surgery. Yeah. I went, I went back to the hospital every so often. Follow for up. yeah for follow ups. Yeah. And the one time I walked back from the hospital, I'm walking out of the hospital. I had done my visits because I, I had known a lot of people in there because I spent a considerable amount of time. So I I spoke with a lot of different people, and I'm on my way out, and as I. Before, you know those glass doors that slide open? Yeah. Before they open, I get both my arms grabbed by two security guards. And I'm stunned. Wow. Why? I slowly turn around. And I says, uh, and there were two security guards. I says, can I help you? I says, you certainly can. I says, uh, can you explain uh, what you're doing here? Absolutely, I'm here as a follow up, follow up from like for my epilepsy, and I've been up because I just got for surgery, and I explained the story a little bit. Says, oh, says, can I ask you what's going on? Says, uh, one guy looks at me, says, someone in this in this hospital has been going around, going looking under old ladies' dresses, oh my gowns. Gosh. Oh my goodness. And you fit the description. Oh my gosh. Oh God. He says, so listen, I, I need to go. I need to go get catch the bus. Yeah. He says, you're not going anywhere. Oh he says, my gosh. Wow, really? Did that, that would have sent you into another seizure, just that stress alone. Well, my God. So it says, well, and my first thought in my mind says, let's go see that one person who, who this was happening. Let's clear this. Let's clear the air. Yeah. We start walking and walk. And I'm walking, two security guards by my side. People who I just spoke with are looking at me. Humil humility, humiliating. Oh. It's like, and I'm feeling, have you ever watched a movie where you're, you're walking in a hallway and, and it never ends? Um, the hallway never ends? Yeah, well, I could visualize that. <laughs> no, I'm walking and walking and I'm getting nowhere. Then I get into the elevator, into another hallway, walking and walking. We finally get to the room. To one lady, ma'am, we think we we have the, the person who describes this, who you know, the person you described. Is this the person? And she looks at me, not saying a word, just as I'm doing with you now, looks at me, stares me up and down, looks at my hair, looks at my ears. And I'm th inside of me, I'm thinking, come on, lady, say something. Oh my gosh. And the security guard looks at him, ma'am. Is this a person? Yep, that's him. Oh my. My heart sank. 
Wow, just from one person's like as a witness. Now what? Oh my gosh. Can we go see someone else? This was at the hospital. At the hospital. We're walking that hallway again. Oh, gosh. With the arms held, walking by these people who I know. Yeah. Feeling again humiliated like it was Yeah. Walked another person and I'm praying to God so at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh at this God. point I'm I'm thinking this is a do I get do I get one one phone call? Yeah. Am I am I going to jail? Oh my goodness. Ma'am, you've got this person follow that that uh, fits your description. Is this the person? Looks same idea. Looks at me. Says, "Come on, lady." Yeah. <laughs> your heart must have been down at your feet. And finally, she she so she's looking at me. She's like, "No, that's not him." We're so sorry, sir. We're sorry for your your inconvenience. They let, they let me go. I would have sued their asses off. Holy! I guess smokes. I could have. Oh, but geez. I'm just not that guy. No, I know. You're not that like that guy. And I wouldn't have either, but boy, I would have wrote a letter. <laughs> Writing really is a good... I got, what a scary moment. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Things that shape your future. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. I've learned so much and I, and I hope our audience um, has as well. And so we're going to wrap this up if that's okay and uh have you got any final words for anybody out there who might be struggling with epilepsy or or can you suggest anything that maybe could help them along this journey that it's not the end of their life they can have successful uh careers they can drive they can have successful marriages have children what would you suggest I've, You've had four kids, yeah, so five, uh, <laughs> no yeah, problem like there. I, I, understand, I understand how to make children. <laughs> I understand how to make children. And that, but the, you know what the best part was? What? Practicing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Holy smokes. Didn't think we'd go there. But anyway. Uh, all right. <laughs> you're uh, hilarious. <laughs> anyway, so any so, suggestions for, for people out there yes. that want to reach out to you just to kind of... <laughs> uh, actually, I do. Keep yeah. your doors open. Yeah. There are conventional methods out there that everybody goes, most people go by. I've gone the complete unconventional way. And it's it's proven fruitful for me. And it's proven for many others with whom I've coached. Yeah. Who I've, I've helped. And keep your doors open. Please. Understand that there are other ways, other, understand your triggers. Understand what's going on in your own life. You're the one that knows your own body most. Yeah. And I don't discount any any help from professionals because they went to school for years and years and years to understand this. Yeah. And they understand a lot more than basically any of us. And it's still evolving. They're still learning. They're still trying to figure all this they out. They are. But they're, they're learning out of people from like you and I. Yeah. But you and I understand our bodies, our own bodies most yes we know what's going on yeah we know when something's off and if someone tries to discount you doctor or professional go to see another doctor get a second third opinion it's not this is not your last stop exactly there's always one more yeah keep that in mind yeah there's one more if you keep that one in mind 
That can, yeah. that's that that will move you for so long. It's yeah. not just one more doctor, one more door, one yeah. more person, one more idea, one more something. Keep that in mind. One more. And let's also wrap this up with your positiveness and dealing with anxiety. What can you say to people to help them to remain focused on being positive, even if doors slam in their face, even if they have medical issues, is to encourage people to get up out of bed and face that day. What can you say to a person who's like, I've had open heart surgery, I've had thyroid cancer, I've had scoliosis, and, and some days it was hard to get up out of bed. So, and I've had, you know, uh, different issues. You've had medical issues. You've had emotional other stuff went on with your personal life. Uh, you divorced and then remarried. Uh, we've all had life's challenges. So what can you say to a person out there who just might feel like giving up today or just might not want to get out of bed today because they have severe epilepsy, let's say? What can you say just to, to kind of help them to get up out of bed and get their feet on the floor and go you've, on? You've gone through so much. You have as well. And many other people yeah. have, many, many other people have as right. well. And that's what I'm getting at now. You, that's what I can say to the, to the audience. Yeah. You have gone through so much. Look at what, you, what you've done, the things you've conquered the things that you've, you've gone through and you're still here. My hat goes off to you. Now we, this next feat we, is just one more thing. And we believe in you. Oh, absolutely. We, I, know we, I know things can get better for you. And I, I know this more than you, know for, you may know for yourself. And because I've, I've witnessed it, not only through myself, through others. And I've witnessed so many people go from the dark days to the bright ones. And understand this, you can't go, you can't f totally immerse yourself in bright days without experiencing the dark. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and they, they shape us, those, those dark days, right. believe it or not, whether we want them or not. The grass is not always greener on the other side. Right. So, and everybody has ups and downs, no yes. matter how rich or poor you are. For sure. And medically wise or whatever. So, uh, but what you're saying is keep being positive. Yes. And what you were saying is, is about you know, wanting to get up in the morning. Find something that's going to spark you. Yeah. Uh, whether it be a, a something of a passion. Yeah. Now, and I know you need to get there. Yeah. But use that one one statement I just mentioned a few minutes ago. It says, if you look at it, you don't want to get up in, in that morning. One more. Yeah. One more one day. One more time. Yeah. So important. And finding your passion is also very important. Very Whether much. you like to go for a walk outside or play cards like your dad does. Mm -hmm going back to your dad or being a caregiver like your mom. Right. Uh, you like to uh, exercise, eat well. You don't eat in an animal bar, so that's one strike <laughs> against you. But anyway, uh, find your passion. Your wife likes to draw and, and, and mm -hmm. do art, and I like to write and, and talk to people. Mm -hmm. 
And so just and I, sit you, back you, you and figure it out. You, you, you do it wonderfully. Thank you oh, so much. Oh, thanks. And you're a wonderful guest. And I really appreciate you sharing your story. And thank you for, for being a guest on my podcast. I really hope that this can help other people. And that's the goal of, of, of this, uh, uh, this episode. But also, I think, for my podcast, I... It was that maybe sharing our stories, just regular folks, that we can uh, help others somehow. Yeah, so thank you so much, Dan, for being my guest. Thank you, Joanne. So I've got a a mission statement. Okay, yes, yes, yeah. Go ahead. I want to positively affect one million people with epilepsy. So to, to be able to turn them around. Good for you. And I believe in you. I believe you could do it. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. You take care. You as well.